0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, what were the key issues that Biden and Trudeau tackled this past weekend? We'll discuss that and more with Dr. Laurie Turnbull, the director of the School of Public Administration of Dalhousie University. Will the federal liberals survive this budget, or is this going to be the end of the road for them? And we'll cover all things in American politics with Reggie Ciccini's Weekly Washington Report. All coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Still uh, in Ottawa, I know they're focusing on the budget tomorrow, but uh, a lot of talk about uh, last Friday and Thursday, actually, for that matter, with uh, U.S. President Joe Biden. And, uh, well, the impact that that's going to have, more short-term and long-term. The uh, federal liberals aren't the only ones uh, who are declaring the U.S. President's trip to Ottawa a triumph for Canada-U.S. relations. Over the weekend, uh, U.S. Envoy David Cohen described Biden's visit as an authentic showcase of how important Canada continues to be to its southern neighbor.
1: Cohen is pointing to significant progress on modernizing NORAD and working together on critical minerals as two of the most important elements of last week's visit. Some advocates are criticizing new rules at the Canada-U.S. border that are already turning away legions of would-be asylum seekers at the unofficial Roxham Road crossing. Cohen says the changes are an integral part of a larger, broader strategy to deal with irregular migration, which he calls a very difficult, difficult issue. Emily Joveski, the Canadian Press.
0: So let's uh, use that as a jumping on point here for our uh, discussion about uh, things in federal politics. And uh, so pleased to welcome back to the program, Dr. Laurie Turnbull, the Director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Uh, Laurie, thanks for the time. Good
1: morning. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's uh, do the go into the way back machine. I guess to uh, to late last week, then with uh, Joe Biden's trip to Ottawa. Uh, what's the buzz in the nation's capital about the impact that, that Biden had uh, over those uh, well sh- two short days, but very
1: important days? Right. It was, it was such a short visit, but it seems like most of the buzz around it was really about how warm the whole thing was, right? Like he gave a barn burner of a speech. And of course, you know, there are no votes for, for Biden in Canada, but if there were, I think he would have, you know, he, he did really well. And the kind of um, the solidifying of the relationship between the two countries, I think that the the kind of camaraderie between the two and how he he performed and the kind of the way he he spoke to the values that are shared between the two countries and again, kind of solidifying that commitment to one another. We've got each other's backs. I think people needed to hear that, particularly given the fact that there's a lot going on. Uh, there's a lot of of global significance. Right. A lot of the issues that our government is facing right now that are so key, things like foreign interference and and, you know, the situation in Ukraine. Those are things that we can handle on our own. And so I think it was a really interesting time to hear that pres- that message from the president.
0: Well, especially because there was a lot of buzz, that, and you talked to us about this last week uh, about some issues that they they had to get settled. Uh, you know, the NORAD being one. Uh, Roxham Road, uh, which was uh, in a crisis situation about a week ago, and there was a, I may be a possibility anyway that there there could be some, if not certainly not hostility, but maybe a little edginess to it. But Biden was so, I thought, gracious and basically uh, not centering. It. I'm not, I don't know what they talked about behind closed doors. i you know, because they did resolve some of these things, and I'm sure there's got to be a back and forth there, but, but publicly, uh, you know, Biden says, "No, this is a, my, this is my best friend." Uh, and and that's probably kind of support that Prime Minister Trudeau needed right about now.
1: I think you're right. I think that a visit like this could not have come at a better time for him. Um, we can see in a lot, you know, depending on what poll you, you're looking at, the Conservatives might be doing really well or they might be doing sort of well, but Trudeau's popularity is not um, in a great spot right now. It's about as low as it's ever been. And so I think he needed this moment for himself politically and for the government, especially as we go into budget week, to kind of assert themselves as being in an authority position. And the other thing, too, is because of the situation with COVID and because uh, of the presidency of Donald Trump, we have not had a presidential visit since 2016. And so it was a really uh, kind of, I think it it made an impact for that reason alone.
0: And then the issues that that had to be discussed here, we certainly know about Ukraine, uh and uh, and canada's commitment to, uh, and and i know that came up again about you know how much money are we spending on defense uh, and we still are, are woefully behind most of the other nations uh in in the g7 to be sure anyway but in nato nations uh i i guess a lot of that stuff was was i don't, I don't want to say resolved but i mean it was discussed you know at the bureaucratic level long before he even got off the plane so there seemed to be much easier way for them to try to deal with some of those issues
1: Exactly, and I'm. I had heard prior to the visit that even though, as you say, Canada is always under pressure to contribute more to NATO and to defense spending, um, they it didn't seem that that type of thing took over. The kind of tone of the meeting. Those sorts of things may, as you say, were discussed by bureaucrats, were discussed before the the visit. And so the overall tone of it was so positive, even though they were dealing with, you know, extremely complex and challenging issues that are not easily resolved at all. I mean, it, it, the the overall sense of it was really, um, you know, for these two people getting along so well, and the two countries coming together. There's even a lot of of uh, press about the dinner, and more to me that it seemed to me than than there normally is. And there's this, you know, I have to give a, a shout out to the Peace by chocolate in Nova Scotia. Uh, I <laughs> got a got a piece by piece of Peace by chocolate, which was pretty awesome. And so the whole thing seemed to be really like let's. And the two Michaels were present, and so it really seemed to be like let's put the the best foot forward and let let's celebrate the the relationship we have.
0: Yeah, the uh, the speech itself uh, to Parliament was 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 well orchestrated, wasn't it? Mm. I mean, the, the two Michaels. Uh, the Prime Minister's uh, section of that, uh, in other words, his address, uh, was very much like the, the, a presidential State of the Union address. You know, uh, set, calling out people that are up in the in the audience and for applause, et yeah. cetera, not just the two Michaels, but a few other people, too, uh, including a steel worker from Hamilton. Uh, and and it's it's something okay. we'll so often see uh, in, in the Canadian realm of politics. But uh, I guess, you know, you, you borrow the stuff that works and, and make it work for you, I guess.
1: That's a really good point, Bill. I really like that. Like, it, it was. It did have a kind of State of the Union feel. I mean Biden has had such an interesting time in his own um like I can remember when he did his 100 day address uh which is not state of the union it's something different but yeah. it was you know when a president does this 100 days in office and his his big speech it was so you know, powerful and the types of ideas, like the the things he was talking about in terms of where America is in the world and the kind of values that America has and that what government is supposed to be doing. And his message was really government is for a reason. Government is supposed to be helping you do something, and you know, taking risks that so that you don't have to. Like it was this really, to me, like just transformative kind of speech. But because he's the president, he's not the prime minister, and he's got the kinds of political constraints that he does in a congressional. System, he can say all kinds of things, and they don't happen. Whereas, you know, a majority government prime minister or even a minority government prime minister can say those sorts of things, and then because of party discipline and everything else, like he's able to have more of that direction over where things are going. But just kind of take it back, as you say, um, what what worked for Biden in a lot of these cases is, and, and what American presidents are doing now with the State of the Union is to bring people in, calling calling them out, and call you know, calling, giving some sort of recognition to people in the community and. To people who have made such a contribution and so yeah it was a kind of um state of the union type of thing in canada it was neat
0: one of the biggest concerns that it's kind of like the, the the big cloud hanging over everything of course for now is trade and and economies and I know it's you know and they both mentioned about shared economies uh, but I had Biden's reference constantly through the course of his speech about Canada U.S in other words it's it, the, the fear was by American and we're going to get swallowed up or we're going to get shut out of a lot of business south of the border uh, I think he went out of his way to, to try to reassure or assuage some of those concerns to say no that's just Canada U.S it's by North American. And he mentioned that a bunch of times, didn't he?
1: Yeah. And I I thought that was a really important thing too, because people obviously are going to be extremely worried about that. And over the last couple of years, we haven't always gotten the assurance that Canada is going to have You know, a special place in all of this. We have we have been looking for those assurances, but it hasn't always been made clear to us that in the context of, you know, what the Americans are doing to strengthen their own economy, that our relationship is still going to be special and preserved and the kinds of cooperation that we can have in terms of supply chain and particularly with with regard to specific sectors to see Canada's role as being, you know, very much worth worth preserving there. And so we got those kinds of assurances, at least, you know, um, with the kinds of things he was saying. And so even things like that are really important to Biden, like moving towards a greener economy, we can see how the two are talking about a shared, you know, a sense of, of cooperation and mutual benefit in participating in that together.
0: With uh, Dr. Laura Turnbull from uh, Dalhousie University, uh, talking about uh, things in the per- federal scene. Uh, busy weekend on the political shows on Sunday as well, including Jagmeet Singh, who was making the rounds. Uh, and basically, I guess the phrase that's uh, that's carrying over into today's headlines is uh, he's not comfortable with uh, his agreement with the Liberals. Mm-hmm. Not satisfied, I think, is another phrase that he used when he was uh, speaking yeah. with Vashi Capellos about this. Uh, not, I guess, ticked off enough that he wants to pull the plug on this, but uh, is, is this just to kind of remind the prime minister that, uh, that hey, you know, we still have the balance of power here. If you don't give us what we want, uh, we may consider this.
1: Hmm. So I was listening with a lot of interest with uh, to what Jagmeet Singh had to say over the weekend. And I don't know about you, but I find over the last couple of weeks, his rhetoric has shifted a bit to be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit yeah. more pointed. And he's, it seems to me that he is creating distance with the liberals. Now, we are ahead of a budget. We are at a time where, again, the prime minister's personal popularity seems to be about as low as it's ever been. And Jagmeet Singh and the NDP are doing all right. So are they possibly positioning themselves to say, we are looking okay in the polls here. And maybe we are at a kind of sweet spot where, I mean, when he talks about being prime minister, I personally have my doubts that we're ever going to see that. But if he's thinking to himself, a better deal for the NDP would be... A share, you know, a a kind of a partnership with the liberals where the NDP had more seats, you know, instead of 25, they've got more like 50 and then they can start making, you know, more, more um, demands of the government and they can see a little bit more of a role for themselves, maybe even a seat at the table in terms of, um, you know, where, where they're going to be able to, to bring forward some policies and see them through. Because I think you can only say I'm not satisfied so much before people say, okay, well, then what are you still doing there?
0: Well, and I think there's a little bit of self inducement here for him to look at his own political situation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got raked over the coals uh, during the, you know, the foreign interference uh, fear that's, that's still there, by the way, but I mean, it kind of got shoved aside because of the Biden visit and, and now the budget. Uh, but he got a lot of criticism from people saying, just how much is it going to take before you back out of this thing? I mean, look at what's going on here. Look at the way the government screwed this whole thing up. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that seemed to be the tone. And I think he found he better start separating himself from this because, you know, you're either for us or against us, that sort of thing. So he had to get a little edgier, I think. And, and then, as you said, that's probably exacerbated by the fact that budget's tomorrow and he's he's going to be just looking to see exactly what's going to go on. I don't know if he would actually go to the extent of saying, okay, the deal's over. Uh, I'm not so sure that he's ready to do that yet, but I think he's going to wait and see just what sort of stuff he's going to get tomorrow.
1: Yeah. And I think he's got to choose his moment. He's got, I mean, if you're going to go to election, if you're going to bring down the government, what is your issue going to be? And so if he looks at the budget tomorrow and says, you know, I'm not satisfied with what's coming down in terms of healthcare, the provinces aren't getting the money they asked for. I'm not satisfied in terms of helping people with the cost of living. I'm not satisfied with moving the economy and, you know, Doing, doing more for workers if he wants to choose one of those things you know maybe that's something that um, he could pick up some support at the polls he, he's looking good now but the thing is too he has to make sure that people don't get cold feet if he decides to you know go ahead and roll the dice on this because when you're into a campaign and Trudeau is, mu- is quite a strong campaigner You might get people who then like the, the mood can shift and the NDP support now might soften. And so it's a risk for him for sure.
0: Well, and just, uh, you know, with the polling, I guess it was the abacus data poll that came out uh, on Friday. Mm. Uh, and, uh, this was the one that, uh, two weeks ago said that the, uh, the conservatives had about a seven point lead. It's down to two points now. Yeah. Uh, which was within the margin of error. So, uh, even though Trudeau's personal ratings may not be that high, the party seems to have gotten back on its feet. So, uh, so uh, you know, that's something I'm sure seeing and maybe even to a certain extent, Pierre Polyev, uh, are thinking about anyway. Is this the right time?
1: That's it. And because sometimes too, when it comes to an election, because polls are polls, right? Like you can ask people how they're feeling and what they're thinking. And that's not the same as an election. And it doesn't mean that they would answer the same if it was a ballot rather than a poll. But at the end of the day, I think, um, when it comes down to people actually going in and casting a ballot, that opinion about the leader matters a lot, even if the party is, is, you know, the opinion about the party is better. Um, the opinion about the leader matters a lot. The other thing Singh has to think about is finding some sort of balance and sweet, sweet spot against conservative popularity. Because if he pulls the trigger at a time where the conservatives are going to do super well... He might find himself in a position where, um, you know, Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives have a plurality of seats. Making that kind of partnership isn't going to be so easy. And then, you know, he doesn't have the power he has now, such as it is. He wants to go at a time, I think, where he can continue in this liberal NDP partnership, but just have a greater share of it so that he's able to have more impact.
0: Well, I guess we'll get a better understanding of that tomorrow once the budget is delivered. Laurie, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for this. Have a great week and we'll talk again soon.
1: You too, Bill. Take care.
0: Dr. Laurie Turnbull from Dalhousie University.
1: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
2: There's a lot of pressure, I think, on the federal government to um, to support uh, the most vulnerable Canadians, to provide financing for the energy transition. Um, at the same time, that uh, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what the uh, the outlook is for uh, for the economy and for uh, for uh, for revenues on that part as well. So it's going to be it's a challenging time. For the
0: uh, that's uh Randall Bartlett uh, from Desjardins, Senior Director of Canadian Economics uh, for that organization, uh with some expectations or, or maybe a wish list, I guess, which a lot of people are going to have uh, about tomorrow's uh, federal budget. Joining us to talk about uh, what may happen going forward after tomorrow and when uh, Minister Freeland uh steps up and uh, gives the budget in the Commons. Please to welcome back to the program David McDonald. David, of course, is a Senior Economist with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Uh David, welcome back to the program. Good to have you with us today.
2: Well, good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Let's, let's talk a little bit about expectations. I mean, the word that uh, we used an awful lot last week when we were talking about the, the, economic, the, the budget here in Ontario uh, was affordability. And I, I know a lot of people were disappointed uh, that Minister Bethlenfalvy didn't do a whole lot for affordability, addressing what is a crisis for many people. Well, should we expect a, a different perspective, a different outlook, a different approach from the federal government?
2: Well, it seems a leak this morning tells us we should. Uh, it does now appear that the federal government is going to provide a one-time payment for everybody who receives the GST credit. They're calling it, uh, the grocery store affordability credit or something like that. Uh, but it's very similar to what happened this fall, um, when, uh, there was, uh, there was a one-time payment to everybody who received the GST credit, which was worth about half a year's worth of GST credit. So for individuals is about $230 for families. You know, if you've got two adults and two kids, it was uh, just under $500. And it was a one-time, you know, transfer money from the Fed that showed up in your bank account, and you could do whatever you wanted with it. Uh, and so that appears that that's going to happen again as a result of this budget. And that will probably be their, their affordability measures, direct cash transfer to lower-income households. Uh, you know, it has grocery on the label, but there's, there's no requirement you spend on anything. It's just cash.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a debit card for, you know, for blah, blah or anything like that. So, yeah. and I'm sure any time a government hands out money, of course, that's, you know, the the expectation is that, okay, people are going to start to like us again. And I guess that's never a bad thing. But the, the, the challenges here, though, David, are so monumental. I mean, grocery uh, shopping is one element of it. It's a big part of it, of course. We all have to eat. But, you know, housing affordability, uh, you know, building houses, for that matter, you know, we all know that we need more housing built here. And uh, we know that federal and provincial governments uh, have been pretty lackluster in their support for that for about the last 15 or 20 years right now. Can they and should they actually jump back in with both feet and say, we're going to take this this issue on?
2: Well, they should. I mean, here's the here's the big issue, though, is that the federal government and the Bank of Canada are pushing in opposite directions. So the Bank of Canada's much higher interest rates makes it harder for and, and less interesting for developers to build more housing from the private sector side. Uh the reason for that is that uh people aren't buying as many houses because, you know, even though house prices are down, mortgage rates are up. And so on balance for most people, it's more expensive now to afford a house. So fewer people are buying the houses that have been built. And the higher interest rates also uh increase the carrying costs for developers as they build some big condo or something, you know, they've got to finance it for some time before they sell it all off. And so their cost structure is also changing. Uh, in addition to the fact that um, uh, higher input costs for some goods uh, are going to squeeze their profit margin. so on the one hot, on the one hand, these much higher interest rates mean there's actually a lot less housing that's going to be built, and this is this is a predictable outcome of higher interest rates. It is one of the big impacts of higher interest rates is less housing gets built. On the other hand, we need more housing, uh, and the federal government as well as provincial governments want more housing to be built. Now, the federal government started its national housing strategy now going on. Oh, we're closing in on 10 years now of that. Um, and uh, some parts of it have been relatively successful, although I think in the aggregate uh, it just hasn't led to the, the number of new units being built. I mean, the parts that have been relatively successful federally have been uh, a fund that allows uh, nonprofits and cities mm-hmm. to buy up uh, buildings and convert them to affordable housing. So whether they used to be Hotels or something like that, uh, buy them up and, and convert them relatively quickly. That's been, that's been quite successful part of the program. Uh, some of the other parts have been less successful in terms of driving. Uh, so uh, I, there's no indication though that this budget will have, uh, any substantial new pieces on affordable housing. Um, you know, the, the main focuses are going to be, uh, environment, the healthcare deals, which you already know all about, uh, and affordability measures, which would leak today. And so the, those in my mind are probably the three big parts of, uh, what we're going to see that's new in this budget.
0: Is this going to be a, hey, we feel your pain and we're going to get you out of this kind of budget? Or is this actually uh, something that's been crafted with an eye of the fact that, look at this, could, whether we like it or not, be an election year. I mean, Mr. Singh is making some noises like he's not satisfied with the deal with the liberals anymore. You know, we're looking at the polls here and uh, the liberals were behind by seven points a week ago. They're only behind by two right now. Do, or, or does a minority government always have that in the back of their mind that this this could well be an election budget that we're going to be presenting?
2: You know, when you take a look at the plan, the the Liberal NDP uh, plan that uh, you know they set up, uh, much of it's done, or or could be done uh, relatively soon, either in this budget or through. I mean, you know, it's not all budgetary in this budget, or in in, in the next couple months. You know, it was supposed to last until June twenty twenty five. That's you know what's in the what's in the write up. But basically all the items could easily be done by June 2023. And so it, it was never, you know, when, even, even when it was initially announced, I mean, I looked at it and I said, this isn't, this isn't going to take five years to do if, you know, the government's committed to it. They can do it much faster and they've done it. I mean, you know, most of the parts have been, have been implemented or, or will soon be implemented. So in terms of that agreement, it's, it is coming to its end. Uh, most of the things are going to be done relatively soon if they haven't been already. So the question then is, uh, is, is there potentially a new agreement? Um, and as you say, is this an election budget? It does seem from the indication so far that, that the, it's not going to be, uh, you know, an earth shattering budget in terms of new programs, that there, there will be those three focuses, the healthcare deal, which is already done. So not, nothing new there. Uh, the affordability piece, which is kind of a repeat of what happened in the fall. Uh, and then, to, then, you know, there is, it seems more pieces on on the environment file, uh, looking at electricity policy and uh, uh, some new tech credits, uh, tech manufacturing credits, but not much more than that. So uh, it, it may well be that this budget sort of rehashes a lot of the things that the that the Liberals have done already. And you know, there's certainly some things that they they justifiably should say, you know, these are great things, and people are seeing the real benefits of this, like ten dollars day childcare, for instance. But it, you know, it. It's a bit hard to go to an election on this budget, in my mind, uh, except if the budget is really about what what they've done, not just this year, but maybe over the last four or five years, and uh, which, you know, there, there's a fair amount there that they could they could put in there, but it's not necessarily new, I suppose.
0: Well, I guess uh, the proof will be in the pudding, and we'll find out uh, tomorrow afternoon just uh, what the, their mindset is on this. Uh, David, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for this today. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Take care. David McDonald, senior economist with the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
2: Good at stealing, lying. They're good at keeping borders open. They're good at no voter ID.
0: Uh, Former President Donald Trump uh, speaking over the weekend in Waco, Texas uh and uh, causing quite a stir with some of the comments that he made we'll use that as our start off point uh, this time around glad you're with us here the bill kelly show continues on uh, 980 cfpl london 900 chml in hamilton and uh, joining us now uh reggie cicchini washington correspondent for global news who has been following the trump story in all of its uh, iterations over the last couple of days i suppose reggie uh thank you so much for the time good to have you with us this morning good morning let's talk about Trump's speech first of all and, and we'll get to the uh, to the grand jury and what's happening there in a couple of seconds but uh, it looks like in in, in comments that the, the ex-president seems to be making these days including the one we just ran here it's this is all about Democrats uh, which is a bit of a churn for him because Ron DeSantis seemed to be uh, his target for the longest time but is he feeling that comfortable now that that he's feeling as if I am the Republican nominee, if in name only at this stage, maybe, but, but I'm the one who's going to go after the Democrats. I'm the one who's going to clean up Washington, and uh, which sounds very much like we heard from him the first time he ran for president, of course. But, but it just seems as if, it, it, I'm wondering how seriously he's taking DeSantis and his potential candidacy here.
3: Well, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, uh, he is speaking towards a crowd that is solely there to hear from him and they are there to hear from the things that he will do and the things that he believes that he has done or at least has made the crowd think that he's done over the last X number of years. Uh, and regardless of whether that includes false claims or kind of, you know, derogatory comments, uh, it was an opportunity for him to play up the role that he has been given or at least handed, even if unceremoniously, over the last couple of months as being the leading candidate, the presumed nominee for the Republican Party. This was a first uh kind of real big Trump event uh, in the last several weeks, if not the last several months, and playing up to the crowd To at least remind them that they're there on his side, that they know why they're there. And from some of the interviews with the people beforehand, um, it was very clear that these people were there for Donald Trump. He simply needed to kind of, um, you know, sit in that bathtub and wash in that water and let everybody be involved in the fact that this was a Trump event. And you know, regardless of what's going on with the polls or with 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 Ron DeSantis, ultimately for him to be able to rail against the issues that he has railed against, wash, rinse, repeat for the last four years, that's what the crowd wants.
0: But what, how are the other uh, candidates, or potential candidates, uh, responding to this? And, and what strategies might they employ? DeSantis hasn't announced. I mean, he's been talking around it for the longest time. But, uh, and Nikki Haley and others. I mean, Mike Pence, his former vice president, seems to be in there too. Is there a concern among any of them, or maybe all of them, uh, that they're letting this guy get too much of a lead on them that may be an insurmountable lead?
3: Well, I mean, look, Republicans are in a difficult place right now uh, because he has um, you know, a lead in the polls at least against the people who have actually put their hats in the race and are running and depending on what the poll is that you're looking at nationally at least, um he has the the lead against someone like Ron DeSantis. There's some polls, you know, if you want to break them down to places like New Hampshire and Iowa, Ron DeSantis has an upper hand, but nationally, uh Trump has big Uh, Advantages right now. And it's going to be difficult for the Republican Party and for Republican nominees to try and chew away at that or do something that's going to potentially anger the base that they would ultimately need to take away from Donald Trump. This is the hard place that Republicans eventually knew that they would be in uh, when Donald Trump was the first to put his hat uh, in the race. And I think, Bill, if we kind of widen this out and look at it broadly and kind of focus directly on Trump. And uh, DeSantis, all you have to do is look at the issue of the Ukraine war. Ron DeSantis was excoriated by Republicans for the way that he was handling um, phrasing around it by calling it a territorial dispute, and Republicans really went after him. Where here, you now have Donald Trump in Waco, Texas, with people that are kind of leading the pre-party before he takes the stage, making vile and homophobic comments about uh, Zelensky and about the the funding that the United States has given the Ukrainian military. And are you going to have Republicans now come after Donald Trump the same way they came after Ron DeSantis? This is the bind that a Trump kind of uh, candidacy and the first in the pool and with the biggest crowd below him, this is the problem that Republicans find themselves in.
0: But for Trump to succeed, as he as he did, you know, when he was elected president, uh, I, he needs uh, he needs a punching bag. He, it was Hillary Clinton, certainly back in those days. Uh, is it going to be DeSantis, or is it you know, or is he going to wait and, and simply you know to go after who uh, you know if Joe Biden is going to run again? It looks like he is. Uh, does he save any powder from them? Because the way he's going after DeSantis these days, it looks like he's, he doesn't want to be, defeat him. He wants to crush him. Sure, he wants to crush him because he ultimately knows that DeSantis
3: would be um, a difficult person to go up against, at least in the Republican fight. Uh, because you know one exists with the other, one did exist because of the other, and both of them fed into each other in the months and years leading up to when both of them were ultimately going to wind up in 2024. So sure, Donald Trump is going to set his sight on who he believes is going to be the person to try and get out of the race. Notice he's not commenting on anybody who may come into the race or who's already in the race um, to the extent that he's going after Ron DeSantis, and this is targeted. Once Joe Biden declares himself as as, uh, as the Democratic candidate, it's it's likely we're going to hear increased repeated attacks, not just against Joe Biden, but probably against people within the administration and policies that he has seen that have failed over um, over the last couple of years. But you know, remember too, we are 18 months out from the election, and we're still seven or eight months out from primary season and caucus season. So Donald Trump has a lot of time to strategize who he's going to kind of pick fights with, and we ultimately still need to see who's going to wind up in the race along with Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, and company. I think if you go back to Waco, Texas, notice who wasn't at that rally, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Mm -hmm. either of the Republican senators, John Cornyn or Ted Cruz. They have 2024 in their eyes, potentially. Does that mean that they are going to find themselves um, in the kind of Trump crossfire? These are things to kind of watch for as we now get through what was this big Texas rally. Uh,
0: one of the comments, a couple of the comments I guess he's made over the last couple of days, we're, we're, I guess vintage Trump, uh, going after the, the, the DA, of course, in the Southern District of uh, Manhattan, I guess it is now, actually, uh, about the potential for a grand jury indictment. I mean, some vile words were said about him, uh, some insinuations uh, he just likes to leave it out there, and kind of, uh, I guess, is you know, the expectation is okay. Now, what are my people going to do about this? Uh, but there are some threats uh, against the DA and, and against uh, everybody who's involved in this whole process right now. Which, uh, if it had been any other person, probably would have stuck to them, and they said, well, that person is unworthy. Uh, but the Trump supporters revel in this, don't they?
3: They absolutely do. I think the problem that the former president may find himself in, at least on the legal side of it, is that parts of his team. Are not on board or on side with some of the information or words or language or phrasing that the former president is using, and once again, all we have to do is look back to the beginning of twenty twenty one where it is very easy to see that the words and 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 phrasing that Donald Trump puts on his social media accounts can resonate with the base and have a disastrous and deadly Um, impact and when you have him tweeting out number one that death and destruction are going to arise if an indictment is handed down within days of him saying that he was going to be arrested and then you have death threats that are being um, mailed to Manhattan's district attorney you have uh, what turned out to be non-lethal, but white powder sent in an envelope to the district attorney's office. These are problematic. And Trump's lawyers have now pushed back saying, look, that's not what he needs to be doing. They're trying to distance himself, uh, distance themselves from the, the kind of legal perils that Trump could face with this Manhattan DA. Um, I mean, look, all eyes are focusing on this case because Trump threw all eyes on this case last week when he said he was going to be arrested. There, that wasn't based on anything. It simply allowed him to keep it the focus, so that he could rail against something that he is not sure himself is going to ultimately come to harm him, because we don't know what Manhattan DA is going to do.
0: As as you mentioned about you know the, 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 his statement that he was going to get arrested, and that, that never did happen. Uh, we know the grand jury, I guess, is meeting again today. Uh, they usually do meet on Mondays. We're told. Uh, There's some speculation that I saw late last week, Reggie, and kind of puzzling, I guess. They were suggesting there, as you've been reporting for so long now on Global there are four or five different investigations ongoing about Trump, uh, you know, in Georgia and in so many other places, certainly Mar-a-Lago, about all of these activities. Uh, that there might have been some discussion among some of the prosecutors in these cases to simply say, let's pick the most difficult one uh, and set that aside. In other words, maybe the New York one—it's—it's a—it's—it's it's a, a very severe charge that, that he's facing here, but jury tampering and and, and some of the other things about documentation and said maybe they want to put those out there first and have those indictments first. Or, or, what do you think the strategy is here? Or just if if Lee is ready to go in, in Manhattan or Brag rather, then go uh, and and the other guys come when they fall there. I I can't see that there would be an overall strategy from all of these investigations to say, okay, which one are we going to hit him with first?
3: Yeah, and and look from from state's attorneys that I have spoken to uh, over the last week or couple of weeks, um, this is simply just playing out as the process plays out. DAs aren't working to kind of speed up or slow down investigations based on what might be the best time to drop a story or an indictment or announce a charge or not a charge. It's simply based on um, where grand juries are moving in the process. And, you know, I think what's interesting about this is the fact that these grand juries all operate in secrecy. We have no idea leaks are incredibly rare from within a grand jury. So we don't know what stage each process is at and how far along a uh, A DA is when it comes to potentially announcing, uh, charges either at the state level or, um, on the federal level. You know, Manhattan's DA, they are meeting today with the grand jury and, and we know that there is, uh, potentially another witness that's coming forward today. We thought the witnesses would end last week, uh, when Trump's, one of the Trump attorneys had testified in his defense. So this could potentially be ongoing. What does that do? Well, it runs into the timeline with the grand jury uh, information and potential indictment coming out of uh, out of Georgia and that massive grand jury uh, investigation into the January 6th into the Mar-a-Lago classified document scandal that Trump's attorney had to turn on him for last week and actually testify against him to the grand jury. So I mean, one is not mutually exclusive from the other, they are all simply just moving forward. And it is a matter of when the grand jury finally is put to the task of ultimately deciding how they want to move forward. And whether it's in tandem or or all separate, that's something that we're simply waiting to see. But it's something that the present former president is also waiting to see.
0: But isn't this really sort of playing it into a, Trump's hand, though, Reggie? I mean, he loves to play the one who's being persecuted. Look at how, you know, the whole system is against me. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the MAGA people just love to hear that sort of stuff.
3: They absolutely do. Uh, and and Trump has allies in Congress that are starting to kind of buy into that statement. Look, you have House Republicans actively looking to try and now open up investigations into district attorneys that are carrying out investigations into Trump. Uh, And they want to sp- sp- go back to Manhattan. They're trying to get Alvin Bragg onto the Hill so that they can grill him about an investigation. And that potentially gets into a constitutional kerfuffle here because it is a state level investigation that the federal government may try to interfere with uh and and it could set up a an incredible legal battle here but that will kind of feed into not only Trump's allies in the house but the Trump base who will see this as quote unquote weaponization of government going after Uh, a former political ally, when this was a political party who at one time was trying to call for the arrest and, you know, lock her up chant for Hillary Clinton. So, you know, there, there may be a bit of hypocrisy here, but ultimately, the fight that this is bringing to the table, whether it is in the House or whether it is at the base, they eat this up, the former president likes it, and it it kind of opens up that question. Well, what happens if this goes south? What happens if an indictment comes forward? Are we ultimately going to see the base explode like we saw happen back in January of 2021?
0: Well, and one of those acolytes who's kind of leading the charge against Alvin Bragg, of course, is, is Trump's friend in Congress, of course, Jim Jordan, uh, whose own committee is uh, attempting to investigate the investigation and, and wants to, to shine the light on that and talk about corruption, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that getting any traction at all, Reggie? Well, I mean, it, it is. And there, there's general concern about the fact that that Republican allies
3: of the president are kind of latching onto this. Well, we can't go after a former president because it's unprecedented. Uh, and at the same time saying, well, the federal government should be the one getting involved in um, you know, investigations that have nothing to do with federal levels. And I, it is starting to raise questions, at least amongst some Democrats, of how can Republicans say that You know, the administration, the Biden administration or Democrats at the state level are weaponizing government against Republicans when Republicans themselves may be accused of weaponizing government against Democrats for simply doing the job that uh, that a district attorney has to do. There's 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 two ways to look at this right now, and neither are going to be satisfied if the other side wins. Ultimately, again, this is a game of waiting. We don't know what's going to happen in any of these uh, investigations. We also don't know if an indictment is brought on any of these, how that's actually going to impact not just the former president himself, but his ability to move forward through the nomination process with such kind of political and legal baggage that could be dragging behind him.
0: Very fluid situation. So, of course, we'll be, as always, watching for your reporting on Global National about this. Reggie, thanks for the time today. Uh, Have a great week. We'll talk soon, I hope. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Reggie Cicchini, a global guy in Washington, D.C. And, uh, uh, well, trying to follow what's going on with Trump. And there's so many different facets to this right now. And as Reggie was reporting, uh, that grand jury in Manhattan is meeting again today. And uh, the speculation is, is that maybe the indictment will be today. On the other hand, maybe not. <laughs> we Just don't know what's going to happen or what the ramifications and the reactions going to be. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900-CHML.